Welcome back, listeners. It's your favorite hosts, Sam and Anna, and this is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. And this week we are covering chapters 37 through 41 of Patrick Rothfuss' The Name of the Wind. I know we are way behind schedule in terms of releasing episodes, uh, and we will try to do better in the future, but I'm not making any promises. (laughs) Rona's gotten the world a little crazy. We took a little hiatus, but we're back, ready for more fantastic episodes, and excited to be pushing out new content. Yeah. So, are you ready to get into Chapter 37? I don't have anything new, announcement-wise. Nope. Things are good. We're ready to get back into our adventure, and we're actually in the middle of awesome section of the book. Kvothe is finally admitted to university, and he totally nailed his... I don't want to call it an audition, but basically... His... They just call it admissions, right? Yeah. Yeah, his, like, oral exam, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right where he left off was when they told him he'd been admitted and they were going to give him money to come to the university, which sounds pretty unprecedented in this world. So, chapter 37 opens with Master Lauren bringing Kvothe to the bursar to explain to the bursar that he's getting money back. And on the way, they encounter Simon, and we are introduced to a new character. Yeah, Simon, like, is described as having a boyish face, not quite clearly, like, set as, like, a man yet. Like, he's he's an adult, but he doesn't have, like, the features that distinguish him as, like, out of adolescence and into adulthood fully. I don't think he's that old. No, he's, like, 19. Yeah, so Kvothe's what, 15? Yeah, so a couple years older. He said he's a couple years older. Got sandy blonde hair. I wouldn't quite say I think he just hasn't, like, come into his own yet. I I picture him as very kind of, like, awkward and gangly and, like, not realizing that he has an adult's body yet and kind of shy because of how uncomfortable he is. But he means well and he becomes good friends with Kvothe pretty much right off the bat. In short, all the attributes of the perfect supporting character. (laughs) I know, the sidekick. (laughs) Who's just happy to be there. Uh, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, so Simon helps him get a room and a meal. What do they call it? A meal chit. He gets set up with basically like a public dormitory. Yeah. But he's so happy to have like a bed and a little space of his own, obviously, because he's been living on the streets. And he gets like a, the equivalent of a meal plan at college. Yeah. So. It's, you know, you get served whatever the cafeteria has, but once again, Kavoth is stoked to have three full meals a day. Yeah, no, he's going to be doing just fine. Mm-hmm. So Kavoth gets settled in, he starts getting kind of toured around, and figures out what classes he's going to be taking. Yep, and throughout this, Simon brings him to the mess hall, and he introduces him to best, basically like... The gang. The gang, yeah. Yeah. So the gang is made up of Manet and Willem. Willem, Willem sorry. <laughs> and occasionally in and out of the group is Savoy, who's like a high-class citizen from a different country or city-state. Yeah. Well, Savoy, there's like B-tier. He's like D-tier friend. Like, Yeah, he's like just kind of like a periphery character. Yeah. No. But he does sit with them occasionally, and he is introduced as like part of this little group at this point. Yeah. But Manet is the oldest student in the Arcanum, and he has no desire to progress any higher than he is. Yeah, and he's literally the, like, first tier. Yeah. I think he's just one of those people that's a student for life, and... Yeah, he's just a forever Elyr, where... But he doesn't want to move up. No, it's as he says, he keeps his tuition down, and there's little to be expected of him. Mm Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, it's kind of like the saying, like, jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. That's true. And I think there's, like, there's a certain quality to respect out of that, but you'd think somebody ought to have more ambition. I know he has other strengths that get demonstrated throughout the series, you know, that he's pretty capable in the fishery and everything else. He's an interesting character. It just surprises me that he hasn't accomplished more with all his time at the university. Yeah, I think it's also a little bit weird for, like, a 50-year-old man to be hanging out with, like, (laughs) 18-year-olds. That's more, like, where it's coming from. Um, And then Willem, he's Kialdish, so he is from... Oh, just Kael, yeah. Um, So, 
every time we listen to the audiobook, he has a fun accent. Um, yeah. Whoever does the audiobook does a great job, but um, it's nice to listen to all the different voices he does. And he is pretty quiet, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's a language barrier. Because he does open up more as the series progresses. Yeah, that and, like, his native, like, language is far, like, very different from a Turin, which is what they speak in the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool It's him and Kavot and their friendship develops that they kind of help each other language-wise kind of improve. Yeah. And then, but, like, even at the end of this section of chapters, like, Willem is, like, a really good friend support-wise. Yeah. Not necessarily, like, always there to, like, chat, you know? Mm -hmm. So... So yeah, and then Savoy shows up and he's just kind of like... Uh, the dingus. He is a royal from a different country, so he's like used to being a higher class citizen and is very affronted by, you know, like having to pay tuition and eat with everyone else in the, the mess hall and stuff. He's a royal pampered prince. Yeah, he's just a brat. <laughs> I know. So they, they make fun of him. I think he's introduced here because they start talking about how hard of a time he had. They're like, remember when he had to give up his manservant? Remember when he had to give up his rooms at the Golden Pony? Yeah. And then Cavill says, yeah, this time he had to sell his rings, indicating that he had noticed that there was like tan lines on his hands uh, and showing that he was like very clever and kind of winning the respect of his his peers in that situation. So... They think he's very... He's more than meets the eye. Yeah. Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, because of that, Manet asks him what he wants to study, and Kavoth says he wants to study the Chandrian, which actually happens just after Manet bets that Kavoth will be admitted into the Arcanum very quickly, and then he gets all annoyed that Kavoth's like, yeah, I'm going to study some fairy tales. Oh, yeah. And Manet almost kind of gets angry where he's like, are you serious? I just, like, bet you're going to do well and you're going to be, like, chasing, like, nonsense fairy tales. And I think he's also kind of, like, a hardened student at this point. Yeah. Like, so. you know when people come in and they're, like, either undeclared or, like, have very, like, well, it's like when high you ambitions. Yeah. And then people who tend to be returning students are very driven and focused and, like, don't have not necessarily high ambitions at all, but I think more direct goals than like i'm gonna improve the world yeah it's more or less like the chandrian's kind of like a fluff piece yeah anywho they got to bust Kavos chops about it and he says oh no it's more of like folklore research and he kind of like tries to cover his tracks a little bit yeah he throws around like some theories like i'm gonna test to see if there's like commonalities in the folklore across cultures and see how it like aligns with such and such theory or whatever yeah like when, when um, so he makes it sound a lot more impressive and academic than i'm um, studying fairy stories yes after that they make their way over to the archives because after all this time kavos finally gets admitted in he wants to be able to see the he can't quite go to the arcanum yet but he can at least go to the library yeah he can go to the archives and like see all these books that he's been hearing about and like dying to read well, because remember, he got turned away before admissions and yeah. was told he couldn't come in. So now that he's in the club, he's ready to go and check out all the books and do research. And we're greeted by our favorite antagonist. Is this our first time meeting? Ambrose. Ambrose? Yes. Oh. Ambrose Jackass. <laughs> uh, Ambrose Jackass. <laughs> So, there's a lot with Ambrose, and I just love the way they write this. Just, where is it? He reminds oh. me a lot of Malfoy. Like, my father. My oh, yeah. father. I'm royal. What, what, what? Well, he's like 12th. His father was like the 12th in line to the throne. That's so far away. Yeah, his dad's like a high count Vintus. They're very powerful That's like family. saying, like, my great, 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 great grandma was something cool. Like, all right. All right. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you up to then? I have a lot of satisfaction out of um, this passage that's used to describe him. His face was built to scowl. His hands were soft and pale. His blinding white linen shirt and richly dyed blue vest reeked of money. The part of me that was not that was not long removed from Tarbeam wanted to pick his pocket. Just like complete jerk. He's the exact opposite of Kavoth. Yeah, so he gives Kavoth a really hard time, a lot of attitude about. Uh, not being on the list for the archives, and it's because he just got admitted, so they immediately kind of 
already button heads and not getting along. Oh, and then he's like, let me guess. You were the one smart kid in your town, and you say your parents saved up all your money to send you here. And it's kind of funny because I think that actually describes Kavoth's story had his family been fine. Yeah. Like, he was a remarkably bright child, and his family would have saved up, and he would have had to travel really far to come to the university. Instead, obviously, that's not what happened to him, but I think... He's describing exactly how Kavos' life would have been had his family not been killed by the Chantrian. Yeah. So basically, he doesn't get in to the archives just yet, but this was a really important part of the plot, which I really enjoy, was the fact that Ambrose kind of just shuts him down. He doesn't get in, and where um, Kavos then says, You might think this encounter left me disheartened. You might think I felt betrayed. My childhood dreams of the university cruelly shattered. And on the contrary, it reassured me. I had been feeling rather out of my element until Ambrose let me know in his own special way that there wasn't much difference between the university and the streets of Tarbian. No matter where you are, people are basically the same. Besides, anger can keep you warm at night, and a wounded pride can spur a man to do wondrous things. Oh, I love these lines. Like, the fire's lit, he's like, okay, like... It's definitely, and you and I talk about this a lot, but those times when someone tells you, I don't think you can do that, or like you'll never be able to, or those times where you're like, fine, I'll accomplish my goals. Just you wait and see. Yeah. Like Watch a, me. <laughs> a total I'll show you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he clearly has, like, more desire than ever now to, like, do well. And I think it is definitely important because he was kind of, like, put up on this pedestal real quick of impressing all the masters and getting money and things were going really, really well. So I think he was thinking, like, how much longer is my good luck going to last? Yeah. But it is interesting because he, as we see, quickly makes a big reputation for himself at the university. And whether or not things go well or not for him, I think his life becomes pretty different from how it was in Tarbian. Definitely. Like, he becomes somebody, so everything he does is amplified. Yeah. And a big part of his character as a person is that he thrives on challenges, whether he realizes it or not. So the fact mm. that he got to university and it was like, okay, I've got accepted. I've come in. My food's being taken care of. I have a place to rest at night. He's like, all my needs are being met. Like, great, but like, I don't know how to handle that. Yeah. So then when he has somebody that kind of like reminds him like, hey, you're just a person. Nobody cares. Like, I'm challenging you. I think that challenge kind of is good for him. I think also in his mind, he was like, great, I'll get to the university, I'll learn about the Chandrian, and then, like, all those other things just fell into place for him, and so I think it almost seemed too easy of, like, yeah, I'll just go to the library, learn about the Chandrian, check, 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 no problem, I'll avenge my family. Yeah. And he had, like, a, what, a few hours of good luck, and then was immediately like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. It's like, good, reality's still here. That's not happening for you. And thus begins our next chapter. Chapter 38, Sympathy in the Mains. Sympathy in the Mains is where Kvothe has his very first class at the university. And they talk about Mains being the oldest building in the university, and I think this actually becomes really important. So Mains is like a building that, it's almost like a city made out of buildings, so it just like kept growing and growing, and there's like courtyards that are blocked off, and walls that you can't enter anymore, and like rooms that don't make sense and it's completely illogical it kind of reminds me of a slightly organized version of the winchester mansion oh yeah which is a really interesting story that's a fascinating story i'm not going to go into the winchester story but if anyone's interested basically a very quick rundown is someone thought they would be haunted by ghosts unless their house was constantly under construction so they just built a nonsense house so there's like stairways that go nowhere and doors in the floor and windows in the ceilings and rooms that have been completely blocked off and it was just constantly under construction for years and years and years and years. But you can look up that on your own time. What I was going to say is that later on we realized that Mainz is kind of connected to a portion that's underground. Yes, it is. That's right. So it's large and sprawling, but it's even bigger than Kavuth realizes because it goes deep underground as well and that part has been currently abandoned not like not like everyone's like that part's abandoned but like just it's not used anymore and nobody goes there and it's kind of been forgotten about almost like the way like nobody uses 
sewers. Yeah, and the under thing. Yeah, so we um, can get into some of that stuff later because some really interesting theories. There's some really the interesting thing. theories about what's going on down there. But I just think it's funny because he's like, you know, th- it's rumored that there's ghosts or that you know students got bricked off inside a room, like the classic rumors that always happen at schools. Like yeah, the, the pool on the roof or like. <laughs> it, it gives me like a fun little Hogwarts vibe though with that. Yeah, it definitely. Because it's all like weird sprawling corridors. Some Shortcuts. The, yeah, the ghosts of the students still, <laughs> you know, going through the library. Like, it's just... It is very similar. There's a whimsical element to it that I enjoy. I do like it a lot. Um, so, Kvothe gets to his first class, which is taught by... None other than Master Hem, or Heme. I don't know how it's pronounced. I say Heme in my head, but... I did too, but I think the audiobook said Hem. Either way. He's a jerk. <laughs> he's a big douchebag. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing he does is students are trickling in. And like I just said, Mains is complicated. It's sprawling. It's big. It's really hard to find your way around. And anyone who's ever been to a college with even a remotely, like, medium-sized campus knows that on the first week of classes, everybody is always late because nobody knows where anything is yet. So if you add that factor in... Obviously, people are showing up late. Kvothe got there early. He didn't bring anything with him, like no note paper or any way to take notes, but he's not really bothered by this. So Heme does his little spiel, which is very much like Snape's, I can teach you how to stop her death and brew whatever, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Bottle death and brew glory. That's yeah, it. That's yeah. So he's so like, good. you want to be magicians? That doesn't exist. You can leave because you won't find it here. Yeah. Um, which I think has got to be how he starts every semester. But then this kid comes in, Gel, and he... Oh, uh, this kid gets torn apart. Ugh, I know. Classically <laughs> shows up late. He gets shown up late, and then Master Hemi's like, do you uh, know how clocks work? <laughs> what does he say? He's like, do you follow the something calendar? I think that's the next kid. Uh, yeah. So he gives Gail a hard time, and then the second kid, Basil or Basil, comes in, and he goes, you wouldn't happen to be from Yill. And, of course, obviously Basil says no, because he's just walking right into a trap. Yeah. So Hemi's like, oh, well, I guess I could have given you an excuse if you were, because I heard that those people don't use clocks the way we do. But if you know how to use a clock, then you have no excuse for being late. And assigns him a paper to write on the differences between their calendar and the Yellish calendar, which is like a classic professor move right there. So several other students come in late, and then a woman comes in, and he's so mean to her. Well, no, he's deceptively mean at first. He's nice, and then he's such a jerk. And then just wrecks her, because he, like, shows up. He's like, my dear, you know. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad we didn't start class without you. What's your name? Like, guides her to the front row. Yeah, gives her this horrible false sense of security, and then tells her to close her legs. Just drops the bomb. And she does, and then he says, now that the gates of hell are closed, we can begin class. I hate him. I hate him. Well, I don't think for plot-wise, it was like him shaming her. I think it was just like, the very idea of a young woman in front of an old man, he can't handle it kind of thing. Oh, no, I think it's very much like the ivory tower is reserved for men, and you shouldn't be here. Oh, okay, that's a good point. I don't know what Patrick Rothfuss's, like, experiences with higher education or academia are, but there's definitely so much sexism from, like, old professors, Uh, so I think it was just a jab at the institutional sexism and racism built into, like, a bunch of old white professors who never want to leave their jobs and... Don't teach anything new because they've been in their position for the last 40 years. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, get yeah. that. <laughs> anyway. The rest of the lecture just kind of goes as expected for an intro course, but Kavoth, being the brilliant person that he is, is kind of disappointed. Because he's learned it all from Ben already. Yeah, he learned this years ago, and it's review for him at this point. Yep. He attempts to go over to Master Ham, and he basically says... You know, that was informative for the other classmates. But he really has learned all this, and Heme says they can talk about it tomorrow? Yes, tomorrow. Yep. Before class, correct? Correct. Okay. 
but does not talk to Kvothe today. Oh, after, no, after being kind of rude off. to him, too, he's like, oh, our little prodigy, what do you want? Yeah. Oh, he makes me so mad. I hate him. And so, after class, Kvothe makes his way back over to the archives, and he meets another character, Fela. He finally gets in this time, though. Yes. Oh, which is so exciting. And he can go over to Stacks. There's two different, like, ways you can go. Oh, I'm sorry, not Stacks. He gets to go to Tomes. Oh, that's right. Stacks is for the Arcanum. Stacks is for the Arcanum, and that's kind of like a library you can walk around and find your own research, and Tomes is like a big study room, and you can write down what books you'd like, and a librarian will bring them to you. Right. Phila's been awesome. She kind of shows him around, gets him a little bit oriented. Yeah, she's cool. She's very cool. He learns, like, the general rules of the archives, and... Phil lets him know, like, if you want to find something other than on your own, you can write it down in, like, one of the scrivs, the people who work in the archives will, like, retrieve it for him. Mm -hmm. So he starts writing down anything on, like, the Shandrian or the Amir, and he's kind of just browsing around as, like, people bring forward books, and he gets a little disappointed when he realizes there isn't a lot of information available. But while he's waiting around, he, this is just a side note, he is, picks up one of the books to read, which is The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus. Yes. And that's written by... Scarpy. No. <laughs> it's not Scarpy? Chronicler. Oh, that's right. He's writing down his story right now. That's right, because he says, I was looking for a legend and I found a lizard. Yep. Which is why he goes looking for Kavoth, because Kavoth's a legend, too. Yes. That's right. I don't know why I thought Scarpy. That's okay. Anywho. And also really interesting uh, plot point that comes into play here is Master Loren actually finds Kavoth and requests that he, like, walk and talk with him for a minute. Yeah, so Kavoth got a first set of books, and it was, like, it was, like, a couple it was of, like, like children's tales. children's books and, like, nothing really helpful. So then he does a second request, and that's when Loren comes and is, like, let's, let's have a little chat. Because... He was like, you have an interest in the Shandrian and the Emir. And he goes, is this in the regard of an assignment from one of your instructors? He basically was tempted to tell Master Loren about his parents, but he realized he didn't want to look foolish. Can I bring up something? Yes. Or do you want to finish that? Yeah, this I just want to bring it up because I know exactly what you're going to say. Okay, you bring it up and then I'll bring it up. All right. So instead... He was just saying that he was just looking this up to satisfy his curiosity. And Loren then gives him a little bit of what seems like a prepared history of the Amir and kind of like their history. It's like like, a textbook answer. Yeah, very much so. He goes, a piece of advice. The Amir are dramatic figures. When we are young, we all pretend to be Amir and fight battles with willow switch swords. It is natural for boys to be attracted to those stories. He met my eyes. However, a man, an arcanist, must focus himself on the present day. He must attend to practical things. And he held uh, Kavol's eyes as he said this. You are young, and many will judge you by this fact alone. So in a way, he is telling him that he's engaging in the appearance of being boyish and fanciful. Yeah, and he kind really of embarrasses dissuades him. him from looking into it anymore. And like when Kavol asks... Well, where did the Amir come from? He gets kind of like a flat, they came from the Arturan Empire. Yes. Don't ask anymore. But the thing I was going to bring up before was that, and I read this on a fan theory, and maybe I'm looking too much into it, but Lauren says, and this is one of the reasons I think Lauren is a member of the Amir. One, he obviously does not want to draw attention to the Amir or the fact that someone's trying to look them up, and he tells Kabul not to go looking for them. And whoever did the brought the books the first time, there was very, very little information on the Shandrian and the Amir. So clearly someone in the library has been controlling or actively taking those out of like circulation and availability. But the other thing I wanted to say is, so Lauren says, you have an interest in the Shandrian and the Amir. Is this in regard to an assignment, a single assignment, therefore indicating that the Shandriad and the Emir are linked and would obviously go together in one question versus, like, is, did someone tell you to look up the Shandrian and did someone separately tell you to look up the Emir? Because it's not public knowledge that they're connected in any way. 
Oh, I didn't think about it like that before. That's actually really interesting. Yeah, and I saw it on a fan theory, and I don't really know if I'm reading way too much into it, but if someone suggests that, like, these two things are associated together under one topic, maybe Lauren knows more about the Shandrian and the Amir than he is letting on to. That's a good point. I was also going to say another, like, kind of clue or signal that Lauren could also be the Amir was the fact that Whenever they talk about the Amir or the Shandrian, it's never with the actual fearful intent because they don't want anyone to actually take it seriously or kind of regard them. It like the Shandrian like... are always uh, perceived as like a children's nightmare story and the Amir are always like these mythical beings that may or may not have existed They're for the, the greater goods. But It's almost like if it's like knights and dragons. Yes. Like... And so... There were knights, and in our world, they are a factual thing, but associating them with dragons and making them into this kind of, like, fanciful, exciting thing for children yeah, is how it's perceived. But within this world, specifically, the Emir were real, mm-hmm. and they there's, like, history books that support, like, actual events that they were part of and, like, actions they took, but as far as recent information, there's nothing, and I think... It would make perfect sense for somebody in the Emir to oversee all the knowledge stores of the university because they would truly be controlling the circulation of any information on them. It's brilliant. Yes, it makes so much sense. And later, this is like really stretching, but Simon refers to Lauren as like a standing stone. And the the waystones are always associated with the Fey realm and the Shandrian and the Emir and just his description of being called a standing stone i thought was like an interesting choice of words later on Mm, no it is kind of a good like clue or synonym yeah i think there's lots of tiny tiny little clues and maybe i'm way off the mark because when i was researching this it it seems like the fan base is fairly split on whether or not he's a member of the emir but personally i think he is and that brings us to chapter 39 enough rope so i love this chapter it's a great chapter, and it's definitely one of my favorites in this first part of Kavos Education at the University. Mm. <sighs> All right, so it's day two, and Kavos is again attending his Introduction to Sympathy course with uh, Heme. He shows up early. He does, and he tries to catch... Tries to catch Heme ahead of time, yeah. so he doesn't have to sit through another class. And then a bunch of shit goes down. Oh, yeah. No, it really <laughs> so hits the good. fan. It's great. So, Heme just addresses the entire class. He's like, I have pleasant news to everyone. Mr. Kavoth here has assured me that his complete grasp of the principles of sympathy. In doing so, he's offered to give today's lecture. If this happened to me, I would freak out. Yeah, I know. It would, anyone else would be like, uh-oh. And Heme totally misjudged Kavoth. He didn't realize how smart he actually was, how good... Well, also, like, a how good at being is. in front of an audience. Like, it, even if Kavoth knew all those things, but for me personally, if I am giving a speech or a lecture or a presentation and I don't prepare, it's really bad. Oh, yeah. And he has such good command of the audience and indicates, oh, like, when it. to clap. He's, such, he's, like, the perfect showman. So Kavoth goes up to the board and he starts outlining the basic principles of sympathy it's honestly a pretty good lecture. Like, I know we learned it from Ben at the beginning, but I feel like he explains the concept of how magic works in this book really well. Right. So he kind of gives the first few properties of sympathy and demonstrations, and then he moves on to comparing, like, substances. And in doing so, he asks uh, Heme for a hair. And obviously, people who've read these stories know that if you actually have any hair or blood of a person, it's a decently strong sympathetic link in to their body to their body and so Heme clearly underestimated Kavoth but this part's just awesome he creates like a wax um doll of Heme I love when he asks how he can make the doll more similar and someone's like put a little robe on him yeah <laughs> so cute in doing so Kavoth then which is really impressive because it's a very small, like, percentage link. But he does a double binding to the fire and to the... Yeah, so Kavos sets up, like, as he's lecturing, sets up a brazier. 
and is explaining how you create links between things and how to make the links stronger. And his example for this is to make an example of Heme that he's going to then link to Heme, and then he makes an ex- takes a candle, a candle, and links it to a fire. So each of those are connected to two separate things, and then he puts the little doll over the flame of the candle. Right, and so... But the first time... The intention's just to give him a little bit of a hot foot. But it's, like, not enough for Heme to feel anything. So, as he's about to interrupt Kavoth for, like, not performing the experiment properly, Kavoth's like, perfect, yep, that's exactly what I intended to do, so that's why I have to create this double binding. So that's when he connects the flame to the candle. And... When he then does his example, Heme exclaims because his foot was burned, and Kvothe then kind of steamrolls on and says, now what if I were to take the doll I made of Heme and throw it in the brazier? And at that point, Heme goes pale and was like, I think we've had enough for today. I think this is a good example of what a clever sympathist can do. And Kvothe, you know, laughs and shakes his hands. And the whole class is clapping and applauding this. But through, like, the smile and the handshake from Heme, you can tell he is absolutely furious. To be fair, Kavoth basically just did the equivalent of taking out a gun, like, cocking the gun. And then be like, what would happen if I pulled the trigger right now? Right. He basically did malfeasance, even though Heme willingly gave him a hair. Yeah. From there, like, he just straight up doesn't even go back to his seat after this whole demonstration. He just leaves the classroom. During their handshake, though, Kvothe makes, like, a tiny hand gesture as if he could throw the little doll into the fire as, like, a warning of, like, you mess with me, I pushed back. Like, if you push any further, I know I'm a lot stronger than you expected. Yes. But then he just dips out like a badass. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's really, it's an awesome scene. Chapter 40, On the Horns. Kavot exits the class, and word of what happened spreads like wildfire across the university. Everyone is stoked that he kind of put Heme in his place. Yeah, nobody really likes him. Yeah, he's terrifying. And so um, he's having dinner in the mess hall, and he's hanging out with Simon and Savoy. And they're really worried for him. Yes, because they know it really wasn't a good decision at all Even i think so both kind of got carried away like let the show really happen and was all excited about like making his move but then now his friends are telling him he's he's he went too far and he's made a mistake so it's starting to come to realization like maybe i didn't do the best yeah thing. you messed up and so it's kind of funny where um a kid approaches him and tells him that he's going on the horns to be, like, called in by all the masters for disciplinary action. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll go, but I'm having dinner first. <laughs> and Simon's, like, terrified. He's like, dude, just go. Like, you've been summoned. Simon is definitely relatable because he can be really meek sometimes. And he's like, don't anger them anymore. Just hurry up and go. But obviously, I mean, Kavos his own character anyway, but he also just doesn't want to waste food after having been hungry for so long. Yeah, he's like, I don't know what's waiting for me in the master's hall, but if I'm going, I'd rather have a full stomach for it. And I'm like, that's fair. That's fair. But I think he then, like, internally says, like, I'm not even hungry, but I just don't want to... Yeah, it's almost like a pride thing. He's like, I'm not just going to, like, jump up and go to them because they summoned me. Like, I'll go when I'm ready. Mm Mm-hmm. He, he messes around with his meal for a couple minutes longer, and then they get up and head over to the, the horns. Simon, like, tries to comfort him along the way, but you can tell he's so nervous, too. Like, he makes this, like, weird joke about maybe making a record for being the quickest person to be expelled from the university. Yeah, like... Like, good try, Sim, but, um, not helping. Exactly. So, when he went into the master's hall on the horns... You know, all the... All the masters are sitting at this curved table. Yeah. And he says from where he's standing, he can see why people call it being on the horns, because the table looks like a set of bullhorns. But basically, he's there on trial. So all of the masters are there, plus there's a character who's, like, in charge of, like, running the logistical parts of the school, so, like, the laundry and stuff. And he's there to take notes, as if it's literally, like, a trial. And so, Heme 
is accusing Kavoth of malfeasance, which is not tolerated whatsoever. I think it's a zero tolerance policy. Where, you know, consequences for that are lashings with a whip and expulsion from the university. It's like really a huge deal. And there was a long history of arcanists doing malfeasance. That's why there's like a zero tolerance policy at the university. Because they basically are trying to make amends for previous generation's errors. Yeah. He also is accusing Kavuth for unauthorized use of sympathy. So I think he's, because he's not in the Arcanum yet, he's not supposed to be performing sympathy, like unsupervised. So he's actually up for two accounts. Yeah. And so Heme is like going full throttle. He's like... Uh, requesting expulsion. He wants at least five lashings. Mm, Five lashings for the first offense and eight for the second. So 13 total. So Kavot's like head is spinning. He's like, whoa, like what have I got myself into? And I just love this part. First, the chancellor asks if he understands what happened to him. And honestly, Kavot is not sure. So he says no. (laughs) (laughs) So then the master chancellor explains that like, if you're not a member of the Arcanum, you cannot use sympathy without permission, like I just said. And it's forbidden to cause harm with sympathy. So that's malfeasance. He asks him again, do you understand? Kavoth says yes at this point, because there's really nothing he can say to argue with that. He did do those things, and they are not allowed, so he has to kind of accept his fate. And he says, like, everything's too bright, my knees are trembling, and, like, his he's reeling. He's honestly shocked. And then... Ugh, it's definitely just Ghost of Jedi's past, just (laughs) Ben, a.k.a. Ben Kenobi, no, but... Yeah, because the Chancellor says, do you have anything to say in your defense? And Ben's voice pops in the head, he's like, what, you're not going to defend yourself? (sighs) It's so good. And it's just like, all like rhetoric and logic, like... Arcanist's go-to tool is, like, sound, clear logic. Yeah, like, your best tool is your mind. You have to be clear, and you always have to be ready with a defense. And it's, like, that perfect, like, moment where it's, like, a water drop, like, hits, like, a stagnant pool, and just the ripple effect. His mind just, like, unlocks. He's like, wait a minute. I understand everything. I feel like if this were a movie, it would definitely be, like, (laughs) this is so stupid, but, like, silence, and then, like, the water drop of, like, Kvothe understanding, and then just, like flashing images really fast oh, and, yeah. like all his memories from Ben come flooding back and then his mind being like I have to defend myself oh yeah <laughs> it's so good so uh, he goes into Heart of Stone collects himself and he argues his way out of this situation not even argues his way out just just explains his way out defends himself to the utmost oh. so first he says I had permission I was not doing unauthorized sympathy. It becomes clear that Heme did not give the full story to all the professors. So Kvothe explains about like the lecture situation and how he was pressured into performing sympathy in front of the class. And he plays dumb a couple of times saying like, well, you know, I thought it was part of a test and I had to use the supplies given to me. So that's why I made the moment and that's what led me to the second offense which was performing malfeasance or performing harm with sympathy. And because of his explanation of the situation and because Heme realizes that there was an entire classroom full of students witnessing this, his arguments really starts to fall apart. And it really talks about, like, the ingenuity and just talent that Kavoth has is, like, really impressive to the other um, professors. Yeah. Because they were saying that the link that he had wasn't very strong and the fact that he only had a hair and just the fact that he was able to do a double binding with sympathy like really impress him and yeah then... especially so of the people who were noticing that like kilvin really was impressed with this alxadol jumps to his um defense and even is it arwell yeah the, the physicker the physicker yeah all are really surprised at like how powerful Kavoth was and how he was able to do this. And they apparently all... Heme had his burns not just on his foot but like all the way up to the knee. He said it was all up to the knee, which could be dramatized. I thought was it the first time I read this. I thought it was a dramatic thing of him being like, "He hurt me. He performed malfeasance. Get him out of here." But the way that the other masters are seeing it is like, "Oh, 
This kid did a double binding, which in itself is more than a lot of entry-level students in the Arcanum can do, and it was that powerful? That's pretty unheard of. Yeah, like you wrecked them. So, using this logic, Kavoth turns the tide of his judgment. Uh, so they remove the expulsion. The expulsion's gone, but he does get... Three. Three lashes assigned for the reckless use of sympathy. But in a way... Which honestly is like, still sucks. Yeah, but you get what you But get. like, he got a much better situation. But the perfect insult to injury, using that as like, enough proof that he is more than just like an entry-level student that he could be admitted into the Arcanum. Yes, yes. So right at the end, they announced his sentence and he's like, well, you said if I proved... I knew the basics of sympathy that I would be admitted to the Arkham. Does this count? <laughs> <laughs> like, such a ballsy move. Oh, he's so cocky. Yeah, literally, Hemi, like, yells, Look here, you little cocker. <laughs> <laughs> you little cocker. It's so good. It's so funny. I would love to see this acted out. It's so good. Oh, I would love this show to be, like, an animated series where, like, every chapter would be, like, an episode. There's so much in it. It would be so good. But, um, yep, he gets admitted into the Arcanum as well, which is... Pretty badass. <laughs> Day two, so ruffled some feathers, got into the Arcanum. Yeah, I think it was Elodin. Was it Elodin or someone? Someone says, like, a lot of students who are in the Arcanum wouldn't be able to perform a double binding at all. So if he can, he deserves to be in there. Yeah. He gets in. Um, Heme is obviously annoyed and leaves first, along with his, like... Protégé. Branger. Yeah, yeah the so other... the two of them are a pair. And then... It's actually kind of touching. Like, I think the formality drops at this point, because Kilvin comes up and he's like, I want you to come see me in the artificery. Like, I want you to be one of my students. Oh, and I love this little conversation that they have, because he's like, what are you doing tomorrow? And he's like, I'm... Getting I'm whipped. I'm gonna be getting whipped. And he's like, what are you doing after? He's like... And then Arwell's like, I think he's gonna be coming to see me at the... Medica. Uh, the to Medica get to get stitched up. Clearly those professors care about him. They're very, like, human in their interactions with Kavoth, which is really cool. It's kind of funny, too, because, like, without outright saying it, they're like, you're part of the club, kid. Like, yeah, they really take a shine to him. I really like it. Yeah. Um, and they obviously were on his side the whole time so it was cool so he does agree to go see kilvin the day after his whipping and then he's just sitting there with the chancellor and he notices that like the chancellor seems a lot less stern and a lot younger than he expected once he's not in his position of authority so there's like very much a breaking down of barriers between the two of them and kibos apologizes for being so much trouble Mm. uh oh so much trouble so soon (laughs) <laughs> and the chancellor's like, oh, were you gonna wait on that? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and Kavos like, um, I, I would have waited a little bit, you know, yeah, before getting in too, too much trouble. So yeah, they poke fun at the situation a little bit. Um, but I feel like they're definitely like a little more buddy-buddy because of it. The chancellor knows that like he, he doesn't look as that worried for someone who's going to be whipped tomorrow. And K- at this point, Kavos still in the heart of stone. So he's like, eh. I'll heal. No big deal. And the chancellor shakes his hand, welcomes him to the Arcanum, and leaves him by himself, at which point he comes out of the Heart of Stone, and then he's like, oh, shit. (laughs) I just endured some stuff. Yeah, that was crazy. But he leaves the horns, and Simon was there waiting for him the whole time to see how he did. Simon is excited for him, offers to buy him a bandage and a beer for his predicament. And Kowalth tries to go back to bed, is applauded by all his bunkmates for dicking over Heme and getting away with it, but then... And getting into the Arcanum. And getting the Arcanum. But then he gets moved to the dormitory for Arcanum students, and he gets a much chillier welcome there, because all the students had to really put in a lot of work to get promoted to the Arcanum, and he got in on day two. But he, it, he says that even though he feels alone and a little bit isolated in his bunk, he finally feels like he was where he was meant to be all along. Awesome. Just awesome. And that brings us to our very last chapter in this section, chapter 41, Friend's Blood. So it is the day of the whipping, and Kavoth gets up 
pretty early. The whipping's supposed to take place at noon, and he has all morning to kill. So he leaves his dorm uh, and ends up running into Willem, and the two of them hang out for the whole morning, which, which I think like, is good friend move. Really cool. Yeah, they they definitely have like their own solo time and develop a bond. It's very very sweet. There's not much to this section except for the fact that Kavoth asks him to buy him. Null route. So he asks Willem to buy him a couple of scruples of null route from the apothecary. Is a scruple an amount? It's not like a. It's not like saying a couple of dollars, right? It's not a. a no, money. I think it's like a actual like amount. Okay. Thankfully enough, Willem does not know much about the substance because he would have realized that it's going to be used as a numbing agent and. It's like slight, not like an easier. anesthetic, but like it definitely makes Kavoth a little out of it. Um, it, it numbs his back bleeding. and prevents him from bleeding out when he gets whipped later. Which I don't know if that's like illegal, but I think it's something a little iffy. Well, it's classic Kavoth. He has to do everything his way, and if he's going <laughs> to bend the rules to do it, so be it. But this whole part is just awesome. So Willem, class act. Does the favor for Kavoth, and he gets an all roll because he says it's to settle his stomach, which is a believable lie considering the fact that uh, he's about to get whipped, and anyone who's about to get whipped would be terrified. Yeah, they just kind of spend the morning together, and it's fun. They talk about, like, like Willem's like, why in your language do people say this or that? And then Kavoth speaks to him a little bit in his language, so they swap, like, idioms. Um, so just kind of getting to know each other, and eventually when it's about time for Kavoth to be whipped, Willem looks a little uncomfortable, but he's like, I have to go. Yeah, there's a great line here, and it's actually for the title of the chapter. He's like, I'm not very fond of blood. He gave me a shaky smile. My blood, friend's blood, which is obviously the title of the chapter. And it's just like, but also uh, that means, that's a, like, he considers Kavoth a friend and calls him a friend to his face. Yeah, and really solidifies that friendship. It does, yeah. But it's also, it's nice that he hung out the whole morning, but I totally see why he doesn't want to hang out any longer. Yeah, it's like, dang. <laughs> like, it's not fun to watch uh, violence. I do love this little response Kavol says, though, after Willem's like, I'm not a fan of blood. He goes, I don't plan on doing much bleeding, but don't worry, you've got me through the hard part, the waiting. And it's so true, like, it's that so anticipation's true. gotta be, like, awful. Horrible. I mean, even just anticipation of, like, taking a test, which is significantly less scary than being publicly whipped. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. So he makes his way over to the pennant pole, and, like, everyone's there. It seems like Hemet let his and class Branger. go, yeah, so that everyone could come watch. Ugh. There's, like, 200 people there. He He's very, like, collected and con- not confident in, like, a mean way but like knows what's happening and is very businesslike about it so he just like goes to the pole yeah he wasn't proud he wasn't arrogant he just kind of simply walked to the pole yeah but he wasn't nervous or weak about it either no there's a really just awesome part where one of the i don't want to call it like an executioner but whoever's doing it do whoever, they give him a name no, anyway whoever's anyways. going to do the whipping um Kavolf starts to take off his shirt and the man who was going to whip him, tells him that you don't need to go shirtless, it'll save you from the sting. And Kavos just turns and I just love this eye. He's like, I'm not going to ruin a perfectly good shirt. And so Kavos takes off his shirt and then he's about to bind his hands to the iron ring that the, he's supposed the to The guy who's supposed to whip him is? Yeah. 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 is like, absolutely not. And he's like, um, you don't need to worry about me running off. The guy says it's not for running off, though. It's for in case you pass out and fall down. And he goes, if I pass out, you do whatever you wish. Until then, he will not be tied. And I don't know if that's just, like, maybe going back, like, as a pride thing or, like, back to his Adima Roo roots where it's just, like, since his family always got, like, a bad rep of being, like, thieves and swindlers and outcasts that it's just, like... Oh, maybe. I just thought it was, like, a pride thing. Mm. And in his head, he has every intention of standing through this and walking away because he has taken the null route as kind of like an F you to Heme. Yeah. Like he doesn't want to give Heme the satisfaction of seeing him like weak and pass out. So I think he, by not tying his hands, he's not even giving himself that option, but it's also kind of like just badass. Yeah. And also like the taking of the shirt, like 
I understand he doesn't want to ruin his shirt, but I feel like it's very much like a teenage boy thing to be like, I have no shirt on. Like, Oh, no, I just think it's like classic, like the Adimaru, like forever the performer, like just no fear. Like if you're going to accept this punishment, you like take it with like grace and like that kind of deal. Also poor and only own two shirts. Yeah, most of it's the fact he only owns two shirts, but like it's not hurting his reputation. No. By any means. I mean, he, he's definitely cocky. Like, when he ties himself up in Tarpy, he's like, I look like a noble's son. So I think he thinks highly of his looks as well. Yeah. So they get on with the whipping. Three vicious cracks across his back. Honestly, this part just is awesome. It all goes he exactly the way he wanted. everything. He doesn't pass out. He just simply, like, regains his, like, composure after getting whipped folds up his shirt in his hands and just walks away and everyone's just silent and just it's staring. It's so good. And this is where he gets the nickname Kavoth the Bloodless, which is on the back of the book. It's not specifically mentioned that much in this scenario, but I think the part where he says to Willem, I don't plan on doing much bleeding is like the indication that that's where that nickname comes from. Thus, this ends chapter 41 and our episode for this week Probably some of my favorite uh, beginning moments for Kavoth when he attends the university. Just really great plot points and engaging situations that happen, and it really solidifies his identity there. Because like the whole thing with him, you want to see how that plays out. You want to see how the thing with Ambrose plays out. The confrontation with Lauren about researching the Shandrian. Like it feels like, despite getting into the university, a lot of things did not go particularly well yeah. and he's already made several enemies yeah it's like that balance of like great friends powerful enemies like yeah so he's on his way to having a very large reputation and making a name for himself for sure in the university we'll try to post again in two weeks until then you can find us on our website fantasticbookspod.com uh, through which you can email us. You can also find us on our Instagram at fantasticbookspod. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And we will see you next time. And until then, happy reading. This podcast was recorded by Anna Opishinski and Sam Furman, edited by Anna Opishinski, produced by Anna Opishinski and Sam Furman, with webpage and artwork designed by Anna Opishinski. 